0: And you're very welcome to this week's edition of the Clash Act podcast with myself, Eddie Scully. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Kilkenny hurling legend and newly retired player, Paul Murphy. Paul, you're very welcome. Thanks very much, Eddie. Paul, we were just chatting before we went on. We'll get straight into this. But I did ask you the question how you were enjoying retirement. But the truth of the matter is... Every other hurler in the country might as well be retired at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, it's been a question asked to me quite a bit, like, you know, how am I finding retirement? Nobody's hurling at the moment, so I don't know the difference. I might as well be hurling, really. Um, So I'm kind of waiting for people to go back training, um, go back having matches before I really... I suppose, see what retirement is like, Um, you know, uh, the first championship match, when that comes around, that's when you really realise, I don't think you you realise now that you're retired, Um, the most any players are doing at the moment from Kilkenny are on Zooms and talking about what they're going to do when they get back to the pitch, so, you look, they might as well all be retired at the same time because there's no hurling going on, so I'll wait and I'll see once hurling comes back, I'll feel the full effects then of retirement.
0: The decision, cause, because I'm sure it was something that you gave a lot of thought to, you know, someone like yourself isn't going to just step away from the game uh, without thinking it through. What was the process that went through it? Because, you know, there's no question about it, everybody believes that you're still more than
1: capable and more than fit enough to keep playing. So, yeah. you know, what why, why now? Um, well look I suppose I just saw the way the year went You know I didn't perform too well with the club So I kind of knew when I was going back to Kilkenny um, You know I saw the likes of Conor Delaney hurled really well Tommy Welch was hurling really well with Tullaroan, uh, Kieran Ciarán Wallace They were flying it So I said look we don't, we ha- don't have a really quick turnaround time here Or uh, we don't have a long turnaround time here Back into Kilkenny These lads would probably be pushing for jerseys Which they were um, Then once my farm came back with Kilkenny And I kind of saw that I wasn't coming on in games I was going maybe I'm just not in the plans at the moment um, and I think really for me look I've, I have I would have felt into the Watford match that in training I was really going well in training and when things weren't going well against Watford and you know the lead was slipping I said this is an ideal time for me to come in and affect the match and when it didn't happen I kind of said well look I'm not in the plans if, if, if Brian is looking into the stand he's not looking for me so I kind of said look I'm I'm going well here at the moment the body's still flying it if you know, I'm not really in the plans with Kilkenny, well, I can do a savage amount for Dane's Fort because unfortunately, part of being an inter-county hurler is you're not with your club for much of your career full-time, really. You go back for windows here and there. So part of it was like, look, I've had a great run. Delighted to see Tommy, Ciarán Wallace, um, Conor Delaney and these boys really performing well with Kilkenny. And you know what, now is as good a time as any to go back and really, I suppose, commit 100% to your club while the legs are still flying it and you're still, you know, in your in, in full working order, I suppose, to put it one way.
0: Yeah, no, no, 100% and I'm sure Dane's Fort are delighted to be getting you. It was, it was at the time of the retirement, one of the people that had rang me and asked me for my opinion on your retirement and I said that I, I always loved the idea of a player with still something to give stopping in time that he can go back to his club and give it two or three years at a very good level. Whereas if you continue playing for Kilkenny for another two or three years like Dane Fort would we'll be getting a very much broken down version of Paul Murphy by the end
1: yeah that's it um, you know usually if you do get to I suppose push out your career till you're 34 35 you know the legs are starting to slow down a small bit there like by no means if you look after yourself I mean you can still perform to a very high standard but your prime is gone past you whereas you know I'm 32 years of age I've looked after myself over the years and I also haven't had Any real major injuries. I've done hamstrings and AC joints and different things. But no major injuries that I have to worry about. So when I go back with Dane's Fort now. You know I'm very much going back as a fully fit player. As a player who's not. You know they're trying to figure out where do we put this person in a team. Because he can't move around or whatever. You know I'm in full good condition to go back. Um, really looking forward to it as well, looking forward to challenge matches and looking forward to, you know, going off of a Tuesday evening hurling a challenge match somewhere and, you know, training with the lads and maybe even going for a pint the weekend, which you can do and not be looking over your shoulder saying who's having a look at me and who's going to ring somebody to say I'm out having a pint. And, and the conversation, I, I'm sure there's, there's a process in it. You've
0: obviously spoke to your fiancé and your and your mum and had that conversation and said, look, we're going to we're going to call it a day here. Um I'm sure they're, they're the easier side of the conversation. I'm sure you got no arguments from, from your mum or your fiance when you said you were thinking about packing it in.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't tell anyone for a long time because it was something I was trying to, I suppose, figure out am I only feeling this way because I'm not in the team um, or what way am I feeling? And I really wanted to make sense of it. So it really was over maybe a six-week period. It it had planted into my head initially when it, once I wasn't making the team. I said, is this how it happens? Is this the way it goes? Um and then even after the Waterford match I didn't go okay I- I'll do it now I said look I'll leave it a few weeks and the fire might come back into me then you know met a few lads a few reliables like you know Richie Hogan that who have grown up hurling with um Connor Fogarty and these, just kind of said it to him look I'm thinking of I'm thinking of this at the moment Um, now they discouraged me from doing it I <clears> said look you know you never know go back and give it another year or whatever Um, but by the time I would have said it to let's say my mum or said it to my fiance it was pretty much look this is 95% sure now at this stage um, and gave the reasons for it and because i thought about it for quite a while you know, y- you have quite good reasons for it and you know, so it, it, the other side it was a very comfortable decision to make at that stage it wasn't a snap decision so they were obviously upset probably because it's been a great journey and to see this part kind of closing it's, it can be tough for let's say a mom or my sister or whoever hearing it, but um look, that's just part of the process. You have a great journey and it has come to an end. Exactly. Um. Obviously, there was
0: another person that you would have had to sit down and have a chat with or ring or what way, I don't know what way you did it, but yeah. obviously the conversation, I'd spoken to Brian before and I asked him about retirements um, and how he handles them. And mm. he said to me, when an intercounty hurler comes to you and tells you he's thinking about retiring, he's retiring. He yeah. said that if the process has started working in his mind, He's not going to be able to do What's needed to play He said generally If they come to you at that stage He said sometimes you'll have A, a row in a dressing room yeah. And Paul Murphy throws a gear bag at you And says I'm retiring And goes yeah. That's different But he said In an off season When a player rings me And says listen I'm thinking about finishing up I, He said he's never ever Tried to talk a player Out of retirement yeah, um, yeah. And, and I just wonder When you contacted Brian Which I'm sure you did How did that conversation go?
1: yeah it was short enough conversation i mean i'd say it was about a minute really um there was nothing needed to be said you know i just rang him and said look brian it's not a case i'm thinking of it um it's you know th- this is it and to be fair to brian he said look yeah uh, like i relayed to him i felt i wasn't in the plans and you know i just think it's a good time and he said yeah look 100% and he relayed to me where he thought i stood within the panel which was perfectly fine you know and i w- i was happy he said it to me and then basically we said look I Suppose thanks a million. We said thanks to each other for the years. I like, appreciate the opportunity, the management teams as a whole. You know, when you start out with Kilkenny, they're placing a bit of faith in you that okay, you're a young fella, you're not, you know, you're not Brian Hogan when you start out, who has all these All Ireland medals, or you're not Jackie Turrell. You have to start somewhere, and someone has to have a bit of faith in you when you do that. So, Brian took a bit of faith in me. I'd like to think I repaid that faith by playing well with Kilkenny. So, I thanked him for the opportunities, and he said, Look, you know even though you weren't playing this year um, you know you still encouraged players and you were going around and you were saying look best luck and giving lads advice before the, ground, the pitch and that he appreciated that that I didn't decide to you know down tools and go I'm not if I'm not playing you know I, I, I'm not going to encourage lads so look it was it was great it was we just thanked each other and um, look sure been on a great journey together as well and that was really it it, it, it I probably described it in longer than the conversation actually yeah, of was. Course. Yeah, it was only about a minute, and just said thanks and listen. That's it, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. No, it's 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 a very fair way. I know, I know it's like people people
0: don't see it from both sides sometimes as well, and it's 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 a very tough job for Brian and and like because a couple of weeks back we spoke to Chap Clear and Chap's retirement was a little bit different than yours. <laughs> Chap got the phone call as opposed to make the phone call and. Yeah he said he was a little bit hurt by the fact that it was a phone call. You're not in the, in the panel anymore. Goodbye and good mm-hmm. luck. And I said to him, no matter what way that was done, the outcome is still the same. If I ring you up and say, you're a lovely fella and you're a great lad, but you're still gone. Yeah. You, ultimately, you're still gone. And and he agreed that Brian's position is, is a very tough one in that sense. But what I would ask you is, as a manager of a team, like Brian Cody is without question the most successful GA manager of all time Probably the most successful Manager in any sport In mm. in the world Like his his record Speaks for itself But He seems to have this Stone cold Killer um, Mantra about him Yeah Like Was it like that From Like I, I'm sure When you started Hurling for Kenny I'd say yeah. when you walked in You probably got a bit nervous When you see Brian Cody coming Yeah You know yeah. But over the years Like you've been there from, from day dot For Paul Murphy Right up until the end Yeah is the person we see on TV that stone cold killer is it like that in the setup or what way would you best describe him
1: uh, i think uh, the i heard david herity describe it the best way before that Brian Cody whatever you think Brian Cody is that's what he is you know he's the most generous man going to charities and different (coughs) things and he'll do things you know he'll just he'll drive to Ballycastle and he will do a medal presentation and head out the door and not look for anything and he'll do that he'll also ring you and tell you you're dropped and that's it and on you go so he's been different things to different people and I suppose like that Chaplier's opinion has been that he was dropped and obviously that's not a great position to be in and that's your last memory there can be mixed emotions involved in that but like my I mean my, my relationship with Brian was um, I was called into training as a 19 year old to fill a gap within you know if lads got injured you'd fill a place and I walked into a dressing room and I remember it was over in Kieran's College of a, a Wednesday evening I think it was summer's evening great evening for training walked in and I remember looking around and I genuinely you know Brian Hogan I've mentioned him already Brian Hogan Eddie Brennan Michael Cavanaugh all these lads you know I was trying to go where do I sit in this dressing room I was nervous about where do I sit in the dressing room because some lad's going to give out to me now or something you know and <laughs> I was going to embarrass myself Brian was the first lad who came over and just said, well, recognised that obviously I'm probably quite nervous coming in. Said, well Paul, how are you? You're welcome in and all this. And in fairness, other boys came over to me. Like Jackie came over kind of straight away. Eddie Brennan was another fella came over. And, you know, it was, it was really appreciated. And, you know, went out in the pitch on the train. And sure, I looked around and here was Brian Hogan at the far side stretching and whatever. And I think Brian Cody could see then that I was going, Who do I ask a fella to poke here or do I, you know, poke a ball across the pitch? Or how do I do this? So... Brian just Brian Cody let her, a shout at Brian Hogan. Brian, with Paul there. And that's how you know, it got me out of a sticky situation. So he he did that at the start to I suppose get me going. Um and when it came to matches then as well, I suppose once I came he dropped me then. I was dropped for two years, you know, I was dropped then, I was dropped I came on the following year for a league panel, dropped, and I was dropped in twenty ten. And it came to a stage, I think, in 2011 where I had been on and off panels. And I think Brian was looking for, like, look, what's your plan? Like, you know, what do you want to do? And I kind of basically said to Brian, look, you either start me and give me a chance or, you know, what am I doing here? I think I'm the right man for the job. And I think that's what Brian relates with that. Brian can listen to that. And so for all the times where he helped me, eventually I told him, listen, you have to be kind of playing me. And I think what you're asking of me, I'm doing. So as a result, you should be playing me. And I think he kind of recognised that. said, OK, there's a bit of fire in this lad. We'll put him on. And from there, look, we always had a great relationship. Um, I think, really, look, from a point of view of... I, I think I had things that Brian liked, in that I just went in and trained. I wasn't the most skillful player. I wasn't whatever, but I worked hard at everything. I would put myself in the first group. If I was going and doing runs, you know, you put yourself beside Michael Fenley and Killian Buckley and these lads, because they're the best lads for running. If you're going and doing a tackling drill, you jump in beside Tommy Welch, and you do with Tommy Welch. So I used to do things like that, which I think Brian went, okay... He's not going to go out and win the All-Ireland final but you know, he'll work hard in all these areas and I think that's what Brian liked about me. There was days where he said listen you have to improve this and there was other days where he said well done, that was brilliant but that was really our relationship. It never extended past that. It was just whatever was best for what was happening on the pitch. Brian, if he thought he had to give me a clipping that would make me better on the pitch he did it. If he thought he gave me encouragement he did it and that was it, and I never extended past into real. I suppose we were never friends. Not that we weren't friendly to each other. Yeah, of course. He's a manager; I'm a player, and that's the relationship we really had. And it's interesting you say it because when I when I think
0: of Brian Cody, the manager, I always compare him to in my mind is Alec Ferguson because obviously different sports. But but when you look at Alec Ferguson, he comes across as this really angry man. Really, yeah. is the way yeah, to put yeah. it. But I was reading an article the other day, and it was Roy Keen talking about Alec Ferguson and now obviously they had a massive fallout at the end but he, mm. he was on about when he was the captain of Man United and he said he never had a relationship with Alec Ferguson other than Alec Ferguson would say to him you're done really well today Roy or mm. Alec Ferguson would say to him Roy you need to pick up on this but what Keane had said was there was some players that over the years like Gary Pallister Brian Robson Steve Bruce they used to go upstairs and have a cup of tea with mm. Alec Ferguson at the end of training sessions and Roy Keane just said he could never yeah, he could never relate to that it was that's not our job and in that Kilkenny panel i don't think brian Cody is the type of fella that'd be standing off having a cup of tea with three or four of the players i don't no. it's 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 a business really is it
1: yeah like brian brian has his his way of management and i think any manager has a manager has their their styles and people are always trying to categorize him into what type of manager are you like you know brian's way is very much you know there is a line between it in terms of the manager and the players and he sees he gets best results that way Now, that's not to say he does crack a joke. Like, you know, if there's something there, he will. He's very quick-witted and he will crack an old joke. But in terms of day-to-day, you know. Brian isn't in having the crack with the players. He's actually, you know, at the end of the day, he has to come back, as we were saying earlier, and drop lads. Or he has to come back and give lads a bit of a giving out or whatever he has to do. So Brian probably sees it from that point of view, that, look, I'm a manager, I have a job to do. When things are going good, well, sure, look, I'll get some of the praise. No, not that he's looking for it. But when things are going bad, I have to take that as well. And I have to maybe dress players down or whatever I have to do. So he doesn't he doesn't do that. Um, certainly you can ring Brian and you can say to him, listen, you know there's a few things there and you can have a meeting with Brian if you want but a meeting with him is different to going and having a conversation and having a cup of tea and a talk about what's going on in the week in the news you know so i don't know of players who 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 do do that um and that's not probably the way Brian operates and that's just that's just his that's style it, yeah, yeah no, no. that's
0: it and just just when you were pointing out there and it's 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 lovely to hear it, that that in in your last year with Kilkenny that that Brian was appreciative of the fact that you were going around that dressing room Driving on the boys around you, and which is something that I'd expect from you know a really good player. Anyway, that, that, that if you're not starting, there's a bigger picture here, and it's it's Kenny going to win, and yeah. you're all pushing for the same thing. But in the dressing room itself, over the years when you played with Kenny, do you know was there times that like I I see some players on a pitch, and you'd say, you know, did they, they, did you on a field like Tommy Walsh, you as well were just real warriors. You knew like you said you might win the all Ireland with a last minute point from 75 yards but you're sure as hell get a hook in or a block in that'll stop a team getting a point from 70 or 80 yards in you know, others yeah. but Aside from what we see on the field, the characters in the dressing room, is there, t- is there players that you remember through your Kilkenny career that maybe there was a day you were having a bad day at the office and you went in at half time and it was something that some of these players would say to drive you on? Is, was there was there players that stood out to you as, as real leaders in that dressing room?
1: Yeah, like um, I suppose early on when I stepped in, I always felt that I had an easy role in 2011 when I stepped in because Tommy was in front of me, Noel Hickey was to the left of me, you had Brian Hogan out in the centre... You know, JJ Delaney was on, and I felt like everybody was looking at them. No one was looking at me, and I don't know how those players felt about it. But that's the way I felt, and you know, I felt I had a very simple job: go out, stop my player from hurling, and then support the boys. and You know, what was great at the time was, like, Tommy's obviously a very passionate uh, player, like, and he, you know, pure emotion, whereas other players might look at the game kind of like, you know, moving the ball around and different things, and you go into a dressing room, and you might be after doing something really well, and Tommy would come over, and he'd say, that's brilliant, like, he might tell you what you've done well, he'd say, ah, that's brilliant, you got that blocker, you got that, and for me, that'd that'd make you ten foot tall, you know, you'd be going out going, Jesus, Tommy Welch is after giving me great encouragement here, whereas another day, JJ might say, you know, you might have went to hook a player when you should have went to block him. And JJ would say, don't let him do that again. You get in there and you get the hook and whatever. And lads will just do that to you. And like other days, they'll say, look, you know, you might be out on your feet in a match. And you're there going, I can't run again. And Jackie will come along and roar at you that you're going and that's it. And you go and you run. So what they were brilliant at was whenever they needed to give you a little bit of a encouragement or whatever. And there was always seemed to be the right lad there at the right time. Um... And there was always, like we always talk of the spirit, there was always a great spirit in the backs. Like you were always saying about, you know, lads going out and being warriors on the pitch. Like the forwards thing was scoring goals and getting points and you know, whatever it was. But we had a kind of a thing in the backs that if a lad got a block or a lad got a catch of a ball, or if we surrounded a fella and, you know, jostled them off the ball and bullied them as the way we would have seen it, those were huge things for us. That was the backs scoring was points. You scoring point, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I remember like the, the likes of In the Park at the time when. And uh, We played tip in the park in 2013 and Jackie got a ball and he drove out and he was driving out and Owen Kelly fouled him. And Jackie got up and he pumped a fist. Like sure, we were all jumping that day, you know, as in at that time, because that was a victory for the backs. That was a huge thing. JJ getting the hook in 2014, in the final. D- those were the things where we saw we were going to dominate that way. And they might look like menial things from the stands, but we were going, that's a point for us, that's a point for us. And all those small things—that's that's how we worked, and that's how we operated. And you know, whereas the forwards after the match might be going, "That was a great hand pass, or I stuck a top corner, or whatever. I don't know what they talk <laughs> yeah, about." Yeah. I've never done it, so I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> We'd be in the dressing room afterwards, and uh, Tommy would come over and go, jeez, that was an unbelievable catch, or that was a great block, or whatever." And that's what we saw. That's that's, and we enjoyed that, and we enjoyed working as a group like that.
0: And when when you went training, and because I loved I loved the idea of the backs have to work together as their own team mm. and the forwards also have to work together as their own team in some ways, you know. Yeah. But but I do wonder if you were playing cornerback and you can see everything happen up in Heady and just say you're winning a game quite handy and someone like TJ catches a ball and does an audacious flick or maybe passes it behind his back to Richie and Richie doubles on it and sticks yeah. it in top corner. Do you be thinking to yourself, you know, I get him a training now next Tuesday night, and if he tries to do one of them little flick hand passes, I'll fold him in two halves. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Would you have
1: them conversations where you look at it and say, "I'd like to see him try to do that to me now"? No, you wouldn't. Like the way training always worked was, no team really ever got a run on another team because they were so balanced. You know, as in, if you had full back on one team, let's say the blue team of a night was Noel Hickey, well, full back to another other end is JJ Delaney. You know, if you had right half back on the team uh on on the blue team was Tommy Walsh. Well up right half back on the other team was Brian Hogan. Like so there was never one team absolutely hammering another team. But what would happen was let's say if Colin Fenley got a ball in corner forward and he turned Jackie and he went in and I'm probably speaking to this actually happened, he went in and stuck a ball corner forward. The next time he got a ball, like Jackie would have been locked up if he <laughs> if he if a guard saw what he did to Colin Fenley the next time. So in Colin's mind was I got away with it once but the next time I can't do that again because Jackie's going to absolutely fleece me here (laughs) now if Jackie isn't even already out in front or whatever so the way it happened was if something happened once it was never going to happen again and there was very little whistles blown in training so players knew that they had to go either that extra mile in terms of breaking tackles or if you get a ball if you go through something fancy you better hope it comes off because your man is either going to fleece you the next time or Brian is going to give out to you for trying something so fancy that you know do the simple thing well. So there was never a conversation of go out and do him. That was never a thing. Whatever happened on the pitch, we just went off the dress into the dressroom room. That was it. And there was never anything malicious that happened on the pitch that you would ever, you know, go I have a problem with him. Anything that happened on the pitch, it was just Staying training. Yeah, it was just game. training and it was just hard tackles and lads getting on with it and that was it. But there was never an intent to go in and you know, hop off a fellow on the night because he scored a goal off you the previous week or and It never I, came to that. Did, did, did it ever... Like I I sometimes, and I try my
0: best to not let it happen, but sometimes I go... If I set out two teams in a training session, you know, nearly by default I've got certain players that always end up marking each other. Yeah. And, and sometimes it nearly gets to the stage where I let you win this ball and then you let me win that ball and it's kind of... Mm. They don't do it intentionally, but yeah. I think a player can walk off a field and say... You know, Paul won three balls and Eddie won three balls. Balanced each other out. We're both was a super players. Like yeah. when you went training, was there a particular corner forward that nearly was on you a lot? Yeah. You know, who was that player? I suppose the
1: first. Fogarty, forever. I and mean, we we used to laugh about it. myself and Taggy were always on each other. Um, and we always laughed at it that we were forever on each other. I think it's because. Uh, We were trying to figure it out. We all actually hated marking Taggy because Taggy was the most unpredictable player. And he could, when Taggy was on, you weren't marking him. Like, this was the thing. Like, we saw it in 2012 in the semi final against Tipperary. Like, Taggy just had an incredible man in the match performance. Um, And, you know, I think it was 2006 as well, Taggy was man in the match in that game as well. But Taggy would come in because Taggy was lightning fast. And I know one of the things that would have been an attribute of mine was being fast. And I was fast and whatever. But. Taggy was playing you at your own game. I mean, there was no one faster than Aidan Fogarty. And he could mix it either way he wanted. And you couldn't guess. He had no pattern. Whereas you you could go out and look at the player now. You could play Galway next week. And you could look and say, Cottle Mannion, or someone, or, or Conor Whelan. What they normally do is they'll get a ball and they'll turn onto their side. I'm just using them as an example. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. They move onto their side. But Taggy mm. would never do the same thing twice. He would just get a ball and he could burst and he could strike it you know, on the run over his shoulder. He, If he went past you, he was gone other players you might catch him but he was gone but we used to always laugh we don't know why we were forever if there was the teams were it was never A versus B teams but whatever way it was set up whether it was intentional or not me and Taggy would always be on each other until eventually Taggy moved on but yeah it was or the likes of Jer Elward it would mark Jer quite a bit because Jer would give it back to you as well or if you were going to go on and you know I'd pull and drag at a player and you know try and put him off you try and pull at your Elbert, he'll, you know, <laughs> y- you'll do it once and that's it. Like, you know. and,
0: and when you see the young lads coming into the panel over the last few years, like you, you were, you were quick to point out about how how happy you were to see young Tommy coming into the panel and how well he's doing and the young Wallace chap as well. But when you see the young lads coming into the panel now. Um, in your last couple of years was there any of them young lads that really stood out to you in mm. training or you know the, the, yeah. the, the, was there any of them that kind of jumped off the page that you thought look this guy's got it
1: yeah sure of course I mean the likes of Adrian Mullen I would have heard of the Mullins from Ballahale, and would have obviously seen them playing with Ballahale and with Kieran's all the way up and Adrian came in and I just said like this fella's absolutely top notch Owen Cody the same at the moment James Bergen is the player with Conaghy now um, James is in training with Kilkenny and his attitude is brilliant Mikey Carey from Goran like these lads are coming through at the moment and what's happening as well is Because they have a foundation as well, another thing that people don't maybe realise of strength and conditioning from like under 14 up, there's a bit more, I suppose, structure in that way that maybe wasn't there when I was coming through, even in schools and stuff. That's not by anyone, I suppose, dropping the ball or anything. It's literally a case of that the game is progressing so far that players now at underage coming in have a lot more structure in the way of even nutrition and diet. When these guys are coming in, I mean, they're machines coming in the door where you weren't. You maybe had to wait a few years but these are big men coming in the door and they have great talent. Um, look, I suppose the likes of Adrian Munn and Cody, okay, they're young hurlers of the year and we all know about them. But there's players there at the moment. And like I said, the likes of James Bergen, Mikey Cody um, from Dunamagen, and Mikey Carey as well, they're brilliant players and probably a step ahead of where we were when we came onto the panel first. You know, they're a little bit younger. Under 20 now is the under 21 as it was before. So they even have a less year to mature or less time to mature. But you're looking at these fellas coming in, going, if where you are now, if you keep improving, I mean, like the sky's the limit with these lads. And okay, they haven't the All Ireland medals yet, but you have to start somewhere, and that's where these lads are. And it's 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 really it's it's bright for these for these players. And. Would you see it with, with them Because of the way They've been
0: brought into it Like like I've spoken to A good few of the lads Over the last number of years um, Or the last number of months I should say Like even You say Lark Saying about You know Looking at DJ Kerry In the dressing room And he nearly shaking When he got called in He was looking And I'm thinking yeah. Jesus your own Larkin yeah. But your own Larkin Was probably 18 or 19 Going into a dressing room With DJ Kerry It would have been daunting yeah. But these young lads Coming in I don't know if it's just I, I find in life Young lads are they're getting far more confident. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do wonder, does, does the young lads going into the dressing room now still have that little bit of fear in their belly when they go in and look around the dressing room or are they a bit more confident, do you think?
1: I It's, it's hard to know. Certainly probably younger people now at the moment are maybe a little bit more confident. But I think we're walking into a situation like that. This is something you want and you're now in the position of these lads grew up looking at like Kilkenny hurling and want to play for Kilkenny. And I think something that we all feel when we enter the dressing room is, I'm suddenly here now. Now I'm in the Kilkenny dressing room. This isn't minor. This isn't under 21. This isn't development squads. This is the Kilkenny senior hurling team. So if you were, okay, maybe you, someone else, instead of, you know, own coding the lads who would hurl with TJ, but if you are a young forward coming in uh, to a Kilkenny dressing room and now TJ Reid is talking out beside you in the dressing room, or Richie Hogan is talking out, or Connor Fogarty, or Killian Buckley regardless of how confident you are, you're now standing beside the best hurdlers in the country and you now want to mix it with them and you want to take their jersey. So if you're not nervous in that situation or you're not kind of intimidated or, you know, that these things, you're not looking around the dressing room, to pro- not that there's something wrong with you, but that's not normal, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I've no doubt that these players came in. Look, I, I didn't, I would have, similar to like I said to you earlier, that when I came in first, players came over to me. I made up my business to go over and talk to younger players when they came in just say hello to them. And that's, worth a lot to those players give them an old text or whatever after a match to say they, they played well or whatever see, likewise when I retired then a few of those players texted me and just said thanks a million for when I came in initially you said well to me or yeah whatever so that to me would say that yes players are coming in that okay they might be confident in a personal life and they might be confident of their capability but they're players who nevertheless walk into a dressing room to see Brian Cody and they see DJ Carey as a selector and they see TJ Reid talking out they're you know, intimidated and they're nervous, and they want to do well. So I'd say that is still there. And before we we switch off of the, the Kenny
0: side of things, because there's so much more to your life than than just Kenny Hurlan. But before, like, like in your career there with Kenny, you you've won four All Stars, you won four All Ireland medals, you won five national leagues. Like, I hear some people, and they're on about the commitment levels that need to be taken. You know, the the amount of time, the amount of stuff you give up. Like over the course of your career, like when you look at it, was it was it was it just? Was it? Was it really a massive sacrifice on your time, or is it something that you look back on and say, you know what, this was worth every second of it? Like,
1: oh yeah, like I mean, I think it's only a sacrifice if you don't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed every second of it. Um, there was never a moment. There's obviously tough decisions to be made at times where, okay, I can't go here, I can't go there, and there's people going off to festivals or they're going on <coughs> weekend breaks, and you can't do them. But like, I'd be in a position that if I didn't want to, be, if I wanted to go off and do those things, I would have went off and done them. I'm a grown man, you know, and I, I don't have to hurl for Kilkenny I don't regret a second of it and the proof in the pudding is that okay let's say 10 years ago where someone asked me to go out on a night out and I said no I'm not because I have training whatever I can't even remember that night but I remember probably the, the the product of going training and winning all Ireland's so the way I always traded off was I can't go out tonight for a few pints the lads are going but they won't remember this night in in six months' time. Probably won't remember tomorrow morning, but they'll remember it in six months' time. Whereas I'm building towards something here, and this is what I want to do, and that's the main thing. At the end day, it. it's what I wanted to do. No one told me I had to do it. I didn't feel any responsibility to do it. I have no regrets over anything I missed in that time. And the bottom line: if you really wanted to do something, you could have rang Brian. There was there was times where I said, "Look, Brian, there's one or two things I have to do here. I'm going to have to miss training, or I'm going to have to miss." And he said, "Yeah, 100. You have to do it. You're you're a grown man." these things happen you're not a professional by this is the only thing you're doing you have other things to do so I there's nothing I regret about things missed over the years and so and, and like is it like from somebody like me
0: and, and most of the people that listen to this podcast we will have never experienced Crow Park 80,000 people going out hurling the game of your life winning an All-Ireland title like the last couple of minutes of an All-Ireland final I want to get the first couple of minutes in the last couple of minutes the parade mm.
1: going
0: out going out you know, you're walking in that parade. I I see players in the parade and there's they're all different. You look at fifteen players, this year you'll get to do it properly because yeah. you won't be in it. But yeah, yeah. You, you sit down and you watch the fifteen lads down along and they're they're different. You'll see some lads jumping doing knee hops or whatever mm. and further down along you'll see somebody else looking up to the crowd. For you, like I often wonder is an All Ireland final won and lost sometimes in the parade, but that three or four minutes you come out on the pitch, the picture's taken and next thing you're in the parade. Mm the 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 the, 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 Coliseum, the gladiators are there the noise is starting to build I, yeah. I'm sure you can feel and hear I'm sure it's yeah. palpable what's what's that emotion can you sum it up what's it like for that 3 or 4 minutes before that whistle blows
1: yeah there's a few things that I always like to do um, and it, it could be a selfish thing or something I don't know maybe I decided to be selfish in these moments but I always like to try and get out first out of the tunnel with, like let the captain out first obviously the captain goes out first but be somewhere in, in the first few of that because you want to be out there on the pitch for this initial roar and kind of the enjoyment, I suppose, of, you know, the crowd suddenly standing up and reacting. It's kind of a thing you see from being a player um, watching the games for years that, you know, when the crowd comes out in, or the team comes out on the pitch, it's a big moment and it's a big kind of uh, fanfare or whatever. So when well, you're it, running out, can you actually hear the... Big roar going up, can you Yeah, like the way it goes is you're in Crow Park and the dressing room is sealed, and for all the world, it's like the room we're in now. You can't hear anything outside, but someone opens a door and you'll hear the crowd outside, and suddenly the door slowly closes and it disappears and it opens. So it's like a heartbeat nearly, like you're, it's this wave of noise coming in and out. But if you understand, you enter Crow Park at, let's say, all Ireland final day, it's in and around half time in the minor match, maybe a little before, so somewhere during the first half. The stadium isn't full. it's It's 30,000 people it's 40,000 people it's whatever it's getting It's getting filled the next time you walk out it's packed to capacity and people are passionate at this stage so when you ro- run out on the pitch what hits you is is huge the noise that hits you now booze hits you and everything which is brilliant as well <laughs> but that hits you and it's great and it's also the first time during the day where you've actually got a chance to open the legs because you've sitting on a bus you're sitting on a table eating soup and all you want to do is get out and shake these nerves off you because the nerves are building but you can't actually get them off you So it's the first time where you actually run out and you get a release and you're out in the pitch and you puck a ball and jump in for a photo and now you're kind of going, right, I'm going to relax into this. And the actual parade itself, the parade is, it's enjoyable. It is enjoyable to get in behind it. You kind of have to stay focused and remember what you're doing. You're taking on your bit of water and different players do different things. Like, you know, some lads look up. I generally just kind of kept the head, eyes to the front, keep looking forward. And if it's Hill 16 you're looking at... So, yeah, you know, take it in, have a look at the crowd and the whole lot, but don't get too distracted by what's going on in the crowd because there's eighty-two thousand people here. It's very distracting if you want to look at the whole lot of it. So different players are different things, but I think those things are there to enjoy. You know, you're you're walking behind the Boys band all Ireland final, day. enjoy it. You're wearing your Kilkenny jersey on your back, enjoy it because like now it's gone. You know, it'll be gone at some stage. You might know, you might never be in one again. So I used to enjoy them, take them in. Um and look, it's part of the day. You have to prepare for it as much as when the ball is thrown in. You have to prepare that. Okay, hold back, hold back. Don't use all your energy running out the tunnel. And you know, <laughs> yeah. so I enjoyed them, and they they're there to be enjoyed. I think. Don't let the pressure get you. It's there to be enjoyed. You'll never be here again. Sometimes you know. Liam Griffin had it with red,
0: red, red, green, and it was for ninety six, and it was okay. dressing room. It's red. Stop, stop. Relax, yeah, yeah, relax. Yeah, the yeah. tunnel, it's red. Yeah, and then the parade you're still red yeah. but literally just as the referee was about to throw the ball in yeah, the shout went around from all the players to each other green okay. and it was every Wexford player was told when he says green we go yeah. and if you watch that all Ireland final against Limerick uh, Wexford flew into it yeah. in, in 96 yeah. but I always remember it and I always always thought about that but th- the other side is the end of the game we get to see what goes on for 74, 75 minutes sometimes it's great game sometimes it's not referees sometimes ruin it sometimes they don't mm. but you're winning a game, four or five points up, last couple of minutes of an All-Ireland final. You know you've won. Yeah. Like, I know players will say to me, oh no idea, until the full-time whistle goes, you keep going. And I'm sure you do actually yeah. keep going to the full-time whistle. But the three or four minutes straight after the whistle has been blown and you've won the All-Ireland. Yeah. What's that feeling like?
1: That's uh, it, it, It's kind of a funny one in that uh, like you're all running around the pitch. It's one of the best feelings you'll have. But you're also... Not to be looking at it negatively. You also go, This is going to be gone very quickly, because they're nearly hunting you off the pitch once, you know, it's over. So you know, once you get the cup. But you want to take it in. That's the only time you'll get to take it in. The feeling's incredible. You're running around and lads are hugging each other and kissing each other and doing whatever and you know, it's it it is a kind of a closest to a bit of euphoria or whatever people want to say. Like you're just delirious with happiness because you're able to then also acknowledge that in December I was running around the pitch in the hope that I might be here and here it is now. I'm finally here and we can enjoy it and we're going to have a great few days and there's all this kind of emotion coming through. That's also mixed with the fact that you knew this morning you were really nervous, you know, and you were fighting these nerves. So now, all, sure, everything's it. okay. You can just say to yourself, everything's okay. Enjoy it. Go around, hug lads. And, you know, it's just such a positive experience and it's a great experience and it's a one that's gone in, you know, click of the fingers. It's just gone. When you when you when you come in
0: off the pitch, the 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 dressing room is there, and you have the little warm up area out the back. Generally, the Lee McCarthy is brought in there, putting the floor there's ten or fifteen minute of a sing song or whatever mm. it is. And then I definitely have never experienced this. There's a small bar where they bring the winning team to in Crow Park. Yeah, back. yeah. Uh, and is that
1: literally just this is still just your bubble or is it? It's players you know, and partners. Mum, so the partners, partners yeah, will have been brought down from uh, from the stand. So they get basically it's pre arranged that look win or lose, you're going down to this bar afterwards. So what you do is walk to the back of whatever and we'll all be brought down and and so on. So they're there as well. So like I've been in both ones where you're after winning and you're celebrating and also you've lost and you're in there. And part of it is just about being a man like that. You've lost in all Ireland. You go and you talk to the other boys. You talk to the other team. You're only after beating each other up for an hour there. You're all sharing that one bar. You're all sharing the same area, yeah. And they're obviously understandably, you know, delighted and excited and look at party has to go, you're disappointed, but you have to be gracious and say, you know, well done, I've been in your position. You don't say this to him, but like, you know, your position, look, they deserve to enjoy it. Now, um, I'm obviously very disappointed here, but like, there's no one dead at the same time. It's extremely disappointing. Um, but unfortunately, you just came up short and that's a risk you take. So when you're in this environment, you go in, you have your pint, lot of lot of emotions in the room like the extremes of people being delighted after winning the All-Ireland people being in the gutter that they're after losing one and probably maybe after paying bad or whatever so there's a lot of emotion going on um, but any, any time I've been in it you know, no one's let themselves down you go in and you have your pint and people know each other from colleges people know each other from work on the opposite teams and different things so I've been in that experience where uh, after winning All-Ireland and other players come over and say well done you have, a, you have a bottle with them you have a pint, whatever it is and you have a talk and you say good luck to each other And there's actually a good bit of respect Inside in the, in, in the room I never realised the two teams went in I always oh, thought Straight was just, away yeah Because
0: yeah, like a Traditional home Us is if, 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 if we win the county title My club's Gary Castle Home in Westmead And if we win the county title the day after we win the county title Unless it's at loan we after beating in the county yeah. final They'll come and join us If it's at loan It's after yeah. beating in the county final They're not welcome yeah. um, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but 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 generally the, Like say Dane's Fort we beaten beating by Ballyhale Shamrocks in the county final yeah. On the Sunday On the Monday The Dane's Fort lads Might text the Ballyhale boys And they'll all meet up And have a pint or yeah. whatever Yeah, yeah. That that happens I think the length and breadth Of the country In yeah. a lot of places But an hour After an All-Ireland final mm. To put the two teams together Back in if Like if it was a wild match Yeah it's a recipe for disaster, but obviously, as you say, these lads yeah. know each other inside out. Yeah,
1: it doesn't. Like, you know, we've had, you know, like, we've had matches. We've had all Ireland finals that have, you know, there's been serious... There's been lads, you know, sent off. There's been lads after splitting each other open. And it's a fair testimony to lads that they walk into a dressing room after... Or they walk into uh, a, bar. Have a, a bar and have points. Now, like, if you talk years ago, believe it or not, I remember chatting to Pat Herbert. who used to hurl for Limerick, cornerback for Limerick. And I think it was either the... I'm going to insult Pat now is the 82 or the 72 final I can't remember which one it was now. we'll go with 82 or we'll, we'll go with 82 we call him younger than what he is but, um, but he was saying that the function afterwards the, so the actual you go to City West can you go to City West and let's say Tip go to the Burlington or whatever the function afterwards used to be that was all in one so you like that's a recipe for the that's last now because you're going to have lads till 3 in the morning and then you'll start deciding to settle scores then <laughs> but like you know two hour, an hour after the match is no harm lads go in and like I said it's actually quite a good experience to go in and, um, better if you've won it, but go in and actually see boys draft you're playing against. You're about to walk out into a situation where the media are going to want to know what happened and dissect everything and the supporters and everything. But for this moment, you just get to walk in, talk to each other, say hard luck, well done, whatever it is. It's quite a positive experience. Uh, I've never had a bad experience in it. Um, but yeah, it's probably something that people don't know even happens.
0: You enjoyed more, I'd say. Some more than others,
1: obviously. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> The the last type of an All Ireland final is one that you've experienced as well is a
1: draw. Mm, yeah, yeah. What's it like in the dressing room after that? Um, that's it can be a tough one in the dressing room. You're you're trying to convince yourself. Look, we didn't lose, and that's a big thing. But for the last, let's say between the semi final and the final, you've built it all the ways up, and there's been a huge amount of you know um, mental energy and physical energy and emotion put into building it up. So you hit the match just right, you hit match day just right and you perform on the match day um, and there's enormous effort that goes into it and there's enormous effort dealing with tickets and dealing with people ringing you and meaning well but there's a lot, you know, anywhere you go people are saying best of luck on Sunday and it's brilliant but at the same time you recognise the pressure so when a drawn match happens you kind of go I have to turn around and do this all, all this again in three weeks time or two weeks time or whatever it is like we did it in 2012 against Clare or sorry, uh, Galway and no one had done it previous to that, I think, in 50 years or something. That's right, yeah. So we now turn around, and there was no formula for this. There was no, you know. Didn't what do we we know do what here they didn't even to have the match either. They didn't, you know. I think <laughs> I remember there was something with the. Camogie with the f- was, with the, was to or the, yeah. f- the football I learned, the female football I I can't remember which it was. But nobody knew what to do and when we were going to be playing and we are going to be playing Saturday night is it under lights what is it and how do we prepare and we have to go through all this again it was kind of the thing of turning around and asking you to run a marathon you know after running the marathon you now have to turn around and and do this again so it is tough um, and you'll swing from uh, we left it behind us to you know what we're about to hurl a second All-Ireland here we have another chance and thankfully both times we took the opportunity so it's tough it's tough to build yourself back up but you kind of have to say to yourself, "Isn't it a great position to be in? Like we're giving out; we're out to her a second dollar in one year, <laughs> you know." So, but the, the, I, I can picture me, Paul, and I'm
0: sure you're not this guy, but I can picture me being devastated that I can't go down to City West now and absolutely let her a few pints over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, do, do we?
1: Do, does Brian say, "Look, boys, go and have a couple of pints"? Yeah. Yeah. Straight away Yeah yeah. Brian. One thing I will say about Brian Brian has never told us not to drink He never tells us Like lads you can't have a drink He expects you to be a grown up And just go Well you know If I behave. want to perform yeah, Well not even behave But do you want to perform physically To the best of your capability So you can't be going off drinking pints But at the same time If you've won a match And you know You, you kind of want to basically Compound that good feeling Of go off and have a few pints And you've obviously worked hard for this And we're in a good place So go off and have a few So Brian would often come in And just say Look at lads I I don't care what you get at tonight, that was generally kind of the line, I don't care what you do tonight if you go off and have a few pints, grand, and lads will go off and have them, we decided to do it, I remember against Galway in 2012, <coughs> Galway went and did a recovery session in um, one of the hotels around Dublin, and we I think we went out in Kilkenny, we just, long enough to pass now that I can say it, we we went and had pints, and we said, okay we have to turn around and do this, but should we have three weeks to prepare, Um yeah sure look it is what it is we'll have a few pints won't do us any harm and that's what we did and I I even remember 2014 think we did the same now I don't think lads went out but lads had a few pints but lads were so tired I think lads just kind of went there was no momentum in it we said we'll just go home but Brian didn't say lads you can't drink Um, you know we have to do x y and z I think we did a recovery the following day or maybe the Monday evening or whatever it was but he never told us not to he always said look go have a few points there if that's what you want to do and enjoy it. No, brilliant. We'll
0: we'll skip back onto your club side of it there because you've been you've been very fair and open on 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 your county side. The club Danes Forth, we can start kind of at the end of it like you 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 you've a very very strong club, but the last number of years it's you know you've been struggling a little bit at at the senior level without being, you know, relegated or put down to intermediate. You've been, you've been having a tough for a team that on paper I would have perceived as someone that should be performing maybe a little yeah. bit better.
1: Yeah. Um What would you put that down to at the moment, or yeah, can you put look, your finger on it? It's. Uh, I suppose if I could put my finger on it, you know, we wouldn't have been relegated last year. Anton, what I often say to lads is, look, there's a, there's a kind of a big four in Kilkenny with the clubs who um, continuously year on year perform, and outside of that, you know, it's it. There's a serious battle to stay up in senior. But I'd also say with the fact that is there's a fine line between senior, intermediate, and junior in Kilkenny. You know, on any day. A top junior team in Kilkenny would put it up a, a serious fight against let's say ourselves as we were senior. In the last few years, if we played a top junior team, you know, they would put up a serious battle against us in, in senior level. Okay, let's say we were we were at the lower end of the senior level in terms yeah. of results. But you're talking about small margins where if you go to other counties who have enormous amount of teams you know there's enormous differences between the teams across all levels from the county champions at senior, at senior to the county <coughs> champions at junior we don't have that in Kilkenny there is big differences but you know if you're in senior in Kilkenny it's a tough place to be you need results straight away once you're in the league to keep you up to stay away from relegation because that, once you get into that relegation battle All previous form is basically gone and anything can happen in that time. And I suppose we were fortunate over the while that um, we were on the better side of those results. Um, Look, I suppose just realistically, you have to put it down to, we just weren't, um, not that we weren't good enough, we were good enough to stay up senior. We just didn't put the performances together to stay up there and we got punished. And, you know, that's just the cycle of hurling. You know, you go down, but if let's say... If we were to win intermediate this year, that would all be forgotten about, and we'd be back up senior. And you know, it's it's just the next part of the journey. So, senior hurling, Kilkenny is tough. We got punished. We just didn't perform this year, and and that was it. There was other years where we were never in relegation. We performed really well. It's just it's just the nature of it, really.
0: But it's like the point you make about kilkenny hurling with 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 the small number of teams in each in each level. I think it's. Is it twelve teams? Twelve, yeah. yeah, twelve senior, twelve intermediate, twelve junior. Hmm. And when you look at it on paper, I remember two years ago with the blacks and whites, we were getting friendlies against Tipperary club teams. Yeah, and I remember playing a team one day, and one of the lads got me the team. If you know what I mean, I don't won't name them. I can't remember who it was anyway. But yeah. We, we obliterated them. We beat them by about 34 or 35 points. Yeah. And I was fuming because we were out in the championship the following week and I was after getting a temporary senior hurling team to come down and play us, expecting mm. a real battle. Yeah. We might keep with them for 60 or 70 minutes and that'll do me. Yeah. You know, if we stay with them for 50 minutes yeah. and to beat us by 5 or 10 points, I'd say to the boys, these are a senior team and it'll be grand and we'll kick on. Yeah. But we murdered them. Yeah. And I, I was fuming now and I thanked them for coming down. I really wanted to say they them, never come down here again. But yeah, yeah. I just thanked them. But I said it to one of the lads afterwards. We were we were having a chat, one of my selectors, and I said, what is the name of God? What's wrong with these?" And he said, "Well, Eddie, mm. that's one of twenty four or twenty something senior teams in, in Tipperary." And yeah. I said, "How far does the tail go?" Like, and yeah, but in in Kilkenny and, and people like you are you are rightly pointing this out, but people don't recognise this. Like St. Pat's got relegated from senior to intermediate, and they're playing junior this year, and that's yeah. in a two or three year period. And that can happen so easily because it's it's ultra competitive each yeah. three grade.
1: It is, yeah. And and that's the thing. There is only one senior in Kilkenny, one intermediate and one junior. Whereas you go to other counties and there's senior A, senior B, senior C. So when you say senior, it's not necessarily a fair reflection. It doesn't mean senior in Kilkenny. It doesn't mean what we think is senior. And that's no disrespect to anyone. Cork is the same, you know. Cork is a similar kind of uh, setup, um, and like you said, you know, unfortunately for 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 who went down to junior, likewise you see Liz Downey who are after coming from junior up, which is you know obviously a harder thing to do ourselves. We did it from between two thousand six two thousand eleven, went from junior to senior. So I think we we can see the examples in in both ways that because there's such a fine line between a whole lot of them, you know, a team can go very quickly from junior with the right structures in place. Junior up to senior, but likewise you can go from senior down to junior. And I just think that what that proves is that there is a fine line between all of the grades, and that if you have a good setup, you can you can do a lot. But also, if you let a few things slip, you're going to be punished. And we were punished, you know, in in, in that way. So it's a great place to be. I, I think it's a great place to have your club hurling. That it's so competitive that it's not a case of that some teams go out maybe perform but still say it's a senior and in Kilkenny as a case if you don't perform at senior you're going to be in relegation and you're possibly playing you know you could be playing Clara or you could be playing James Stevens who will most likely get themselves out of relegation or you could be playing a Ballyhale team who had a quick turnaround from a club all-Ireland maybe didn't put out their best team or happened to be in relegation at the moment which happened was it last year the year before yeah. and now you're facing Ballyhale so you're not even going to avoid the real <laughs> big team so having a situation like that breeds a real competitive environment that no club can slack off because you're going to be punished. You're going to be relegated. You lose your status as a senior club, intermediate club, whatever it is. And do you think Kenny have the have the right balance? Did the club
0: championship in its current format is there's no fair way? Because lads will say to me, "Oh, this is fair, that's fair." But I think a knockout championship, straight knockout championship, you have one bad day and you're gone. Yeah, that's not really fair. But when you've got the league championship to ease yourself into it, then you yeah. go into knockout based on where you're positioned in the league table. Yeah, and go on and so on and so forth. I think in general the teams that are meant to be in the final and the teams that are meant to be in the relegation final, over the course of the year, it kind they kind of find where they, sh- they deserve yeah. to be. Yeah. I think it's a fair format. What
1: do you think yourself, Paul? No, I'd agree. And and like you said, um, kind of the proof in the pudding of that, people, I think regardless what kind of setup you have, there'll always be people that say you could be doing it better. But I think the setup we have you know, it feeds into the county setup, which we've seen how the county setup has worked over the years. We're producing like the the best hurlers in the country or up there with the best hurlers in the country. Whatever way you want to put it, we're winning All Irelands. That's not just because there's thirty players in Kilkenny. That's because the club scene, um, is so competitive that we're producing players who walk in the door into Kilkenny that are of a really high standard. Um, the structure itself, like you said, if you even play really poorly and you don't win any of your matches, you're still going to be hurling until October, or so you're still going to get the game time. Okay, it's back on you that you're not winning your matches, but like you said, it's not a case that you train all summer, you play one match and you're gone. You know, you'll know, you have you lose lads that way. Lads will go off and play, and go off in J1s, or they'll go off and hurl in Dublin, or wherever. Um, but regardless whether you hurl good or bad, you're going to get games in Kilkenny, and you'll get champ- league and championship games. If you're not getting the results, that's back on you. Um, but I think the structure which is good there is that, Clubs are getting games. There's a good balance. There's a good break between them, and that we're trying to maximise um, players getting games over the year. Yeah, I think to be fair to the GEA, because I'm going to talk to you
0: about some of the rule changes in a few minutes. But one of the the GEA actually did. Um, I think one of the rules that's after been brought into place is, if I'm if I'm wrong, someone will correct me. But in 2023, I think it's 2020. No, yeah, 2023. By 2023, every club championship is only allowed to have 12 teams. Okay. In the senior grade, but yeah. I was—I was actually looking through the rules the other day because they're so they changed the whole time. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm 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 on the ball on that. But when I looked at it, I said um, I said to myself, you know, this this is is a big thing because when you go and I'm taking Tipperary as an example, I think there's uh, there's a there's an insane number of of Tipperary clubs um, in it yeah. in, in their club championship. They, they, it's it's. 16 team cap In senior championships Okay So they've Following a lengthy Drawn out process A majority voted To cap county Senior club championships To a maximum Of 16 teams
1: Yeah Okay So
0: Like Where the biggest ones That are going to be affected Is Now without knowing For definite But Tyrone Galway And Tipperary I think Have And Cork as well Have massive championships
1: Yeah I'm just saying that Off the top of my head With Cork anyway But Um yeah, like i d they're they are going to be affected. And that's what you see. Like I know fellas who are hurling in the likes of Tip and Galway, who you know, the the story of their kind of club is that, you know, we won't hurl for ages and then when we do hurl we'll, you know, play one match and we're out. Um and but they won't lose a status. Not that you're looking for anyone to lose a status, but I suppose some of those players have been kind of even saying to me that, you know, is it a great setup or how do we work it in Kilkenny And the way I'd see it in Kilkenny, okay. There may be times if the county is going well that some of the club players um don't get game time because obviously there's only one or the other going on at the time. Um that may be a a factor in it. But overall, you know, we have a great club championship and it's 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 a very competitive club championship to watch. And I think that's the greatest reflection of the of of your setup that the people who are being relegated are okay, that's fair, you know, they've given they've been given their time, they've given ample enough matches and so on. But also, the county champions are, are great champions and they're a great teams. So, when I look at our setup, I can see very little faults in it. And I'm sure there's lots of lads who would argue with me. Though. No,
0: but see, like, I, I'm witch on this and i you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be one for giving out most of the time. But, but <laughs> yeah. like, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I mean, Kilkenny, you have, they're the home of the junior All Ireland champions, intermediate All Ireland champions, and the senior All Ireland champions yeah. at club level. And, yeah. you know, when you win your respective grade of club championship you're automatically installed as favourites for the All-Ireland in that series because everybody knows how much of a, a hotbed it is to get out of but just just on the Danes fourth side of things itself like you know a lot of criticism sometimes can be put on management teams and and whatnot with results and mm. I, I, I find it awful frustrating um, when I hear people after games they're over analysing and I think you were playing last year for Dance for Were you wing-back in one of the games? Did I, did I see you down? On I the was in,
1: yeah, I played a few different positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's what, what happens
0: to me is someone would take a, a snap at that and say, well, Paul Murphy's playing wing-back. Where, mm. where are these lads at? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, well, what what would you know about it? Like, You're not there. You're not in the training sessions. You're not involved with the setup. There could yeah. be a reason for it. But do you find sometimes in club level that even club managers are sometimes maybe... I, I had a friend who used to always say to me, the manager gives the team the jerseys, mm. and the jerseys go out. The they go out, and they win, and they lose. A manager won't win you a game, yeah. You know, but he won't lose you a game either if the fifteen men on the field do their job. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you find sometimes within like I'm not saying with Dainesford specifically, but with Club hurling in general, do you find sometimes that when you're coming off fields that you maybe there's a lot of criticisms fired at management teams, and they're automatically blamed for everything.
1: Yeah, like I mean, there's there's always whether it's the the team on the pitch or the management, like. There should be no blame placed in any one direction. I think where management often get blamed is if they try something new that appears to me new is not the thing that they did before or is not the thing that traditionally the club do. So, for example, if we say about me playing wing-back, well, I've often played wing-back, centre-back for the club, so that's nothing new. But sometimes lads will go, if you don't win, lads will say, why isn't Paul Murphy in the full-back line? Or why isn't he in there? But if you do win, they'll go, either Paul Murphy played well or that was a great move or whatever. Like, people will just unfortunately if you're not winning people will comment on what's going on unfair on management again it's case by case you know it depends on what the management do you know some some management could do mad decisions which could be perceived as mad decisions or hard to know and it's hard to comment in any particular case the unfortunate thing is if you're going to be a manager you're putting your neck on the line if you're going to be a selector you're going to put your neck in the line and you have to realize that look if things go bad there's going to be a bit of flack especially in a hurling club because if you're an outside manager coming in or if you're a manager from inside the club look you're, these are your neighbours these are your parish people and you know emotions can get into it as well but to say that unfair um, criticism will go on management there's always unfair criticism in any in any GA environment on players and management at any one time you'll always have people that'll be unfair I suppose trying to find a balanced and accurate review of you know what way did the management pick this team today? Was it the best way it could have been picked? Yes or no? Like the management will know that themselves, you know. So unfortunately, it just goes with the territory. If you don't win, the management are going to get a bit of a flack So will the players. To say that the management will get it more than the players, I don't know. Case by case, really. Um, but it's it's a it's a hard one. To be honest, it's a hard one to yeah, call. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. And is it some?
0: Is it something you could see yourself doing? Um. Whether it's with Dane's Fort Or with Kilkenny Or you know Is it something you could see yourself Is that Management or yeah, coaching or yeah. Coaching and management
1: Well I'm involved I got involved With the development squads now So Ned Quinn Rang lately um, An idea they're they're doing now Is basically kind of Having ambassadors With the development squad So ex-players Who are just after finishing up So myself Aidan Fogarty um, PJ Ryan DJ and Richie Power are going to develop squad. So what we're basically doing is going to players and like that, there's probably questions we can answer that maybe players be wondering that maybe coaches can't answer and only from the point of view of, you know, playing with Kilkenny or whatever, or what did we do? And we're all different styles, different positions. What did we do that works? And initially it would have been something I said, no, I I at the moment I've no interest in management or 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 coaching or not from Uh, you know any point of view it was just kind of no I I kind of see myself as more of a player but now that I've stepped back and I was asked you kind of want to impart a bit of knowledge or what you think is knowledge or give your opinion on so when I was asked I was like well actually yeah I kind of want to tell young players maybe things I would have liked to have been told when I was 14 you know I was always surrounded by great coaches and part of me was going I had great coaches and I'd like to think I'd be able to be a good coach to a young player as well so if you asked me two years ago three years ago I would have said no I have no interest in management or coaching but I think every player probably says it when they're playing and then once they step away there's a little bit, little bit of a void and you go I have a bit of a, a want in me here to talk about hurling and talk about or be in, in the pitch and be talking with players so I've already kind of taken a step into coaching I'm not looking to manage any team at the moment <laughs> so I'll just put that straight out anyone here looking to no, I'm not looking um i'm I'm really happy to go and get involved with that development squad's really positive environment dealing with really good you know young players and also chatting to Richie Power and and Fogarty and the lads about how they used to destroy me in training or whatever it was <laughs> so
0: like, yeah. like like I know you're saying that that you're devoid you know it fills a void, but I can assure you paul the void's not there yet um, yeah, and yeah. You, and you'll see it but it's 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 just something like for me like a I often look around and and it's great now that you see like Owen is after taking a team on. Michael's doing very well. Michael Fenley's doing very well and Offaly there. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's a good few of the lads have done really really well. Um, yeah. David Hurd, he's done really well with Kildare and he's done very well with the Dublin camogie team beforehand, but it's yeah. I think it's 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 brilliant for these players to actually start coming back in and I and I I would say it's when you see clubs like Forth in, you know, for yourselves, it is. I, I honestly think if I was involved in Dance Ford, I'd be saying, like, Jesus, Paul, you know, we're going to give you the under 10s, 12s, 13s, 14s, yeah. and maybe the under 16s, you know. Yeah. But to, to keep you involved in that way, but it's, I think it's great that Kilkenny and Ned Quinn, whoever, come up with this initiative, I think this yeah. is a brilliant idea. You it's a great
1: idea, yeah, yeah. Um, Just
0: going to switch it off, off hurling altogether for a few minutes, and I'm just going to kind of run around a few bits of areas and we'll discuss it and we'll have a bit of crack with it as well if you want. But I did say to you beforehand that I'd spoken to Gary Breen, Mm. um, not the international superstar Gary Breen that we all (laughs) want a team of Gary Breen's, but Gary Breen from Kilkenny, he's playing up soccer up the north. And when I was chatting to him, I asked him about hurling because he was from Kilkenny, and I didn't notice. And he said, I knew he was from Kilkenny, obviously, but I said it to him about hurling. I said, You must have been really bad at hurling, the having balance, best soccer. And he started laughing and he said, he he remembered the two players he remembered most and not the people because he said you were all great friends and all really good people but he yeah. said the two players that stood out to him most in soccer in Kilkenny was Richie Hogan and Paul Murphy <laughs> yeah. so i was like fair enough you know richie i thought maybe and i was thinking paul where would he be and next thing yeah. he said paul was in goal yeah but he said you know genuinely he said you know paul was good enough to do it as a goalkeeper and um, mm. like do you remember playing soccer obviously with gary
1: yeah, I do, of course I do. Um, you know, we played underage at Fort Rangers and we would have played with, um, played with Kenny then, lights the Kennedy Cup and it was obviously a very young age we were playing at and, you know, Gary was, Gary was a big man when he was even underage, he was taller than a lot of lads so he was a centre half or midfield but you could have played him anywhere, you know, he had great feet and he had great balance and really good uh, soccer brain on him and that was apparent straight away. Um, uh, and you know we had great times we went and played in Kennedy Cups I think we we, we actually came I think it was 5th Ronnie Grace was over the Kennedy Cup team that we were um, that we were playing on we came 5th <clears> in <throat> Ireland I think it was um, we were actually beaten by a Donegal team which Seamus Coleman was on so I was in the goal and Gary was centre half and Richie was midfield and Packy Bonner's nephew scored a goal on me <laughs> so ironically the Packy Bonner's nephew was a striker and I was on the goal but um. But Gary was centre half, and like we mixed it. Like Anthony Stokes, the the DDSL team that won, Anthony Stokes was on, and you know he subsequently went off to Arsenal, Celtic, and wherever he went. But, you know, we mixed it with with those as a Kilkenny team, which was really, I don't think anyone has gone that far since. Maybe they have, but, you know, it was a great achievement. And we also went on, you know, we did trials and myself and Gary played in a tournament in in Manchester a few years ago. A team invited us to go and play in Manchester and we did at the age of like 13. Again, I was on the goals and Gary was centre half. So, you know, we played a lot of soccer together and we, we enjoyed it and it was very much, that was, I suppose you know, it's nearly twenty years ago now when we did that. But um yeah, great times with Gary playing soccer, it was brilliant. It's great to see what he's done as well. And like with him saying that you could have met a Paul, like I know, you know. I know you didn't pull up in a
0: Ferrari outside there. You wouldn't be yeah. doing the podcast with me if you had a side of Manchester United. You know, Shane to do his best, but he wouldn't be able to pull that one off. But yeah. like, was there ever a time in your mind that you said, you know what, I want to play for, I want to play for Arsenal in goal, or you know, was there when mm. you were playing well? Was it was it ever something that came into your psyche, or was it always I want to play for Kenny Hurlers?
1: No, like it, it was, um, it was something. Of course, I thought about it. You know, when things were going well, there was always people there saying, you know, you can go really far at this. I suppose as a young fella you know, from Danes Fort, uh and lads saying you could go to England. I was thinking of all these like, Spanish and Italian fellas and Brazilian lads. I said, well, sure, lads from 4 don't go and do that. Maybe that was part of me saying that. Um, you know, I, I, I was good in the goal and I enjoyed playing on the goal and, you know, these opportunities were coming up. But I suppose they're quite daunting opportunities as well. Um, and there was no one... I suppose it's very hard. No one can give you advice on that because it's something probably no one has done before. I mean, I can't go and knock on Packy Bonner's door <laughs> and ask him, <laughs> well, what did you do? Like, you know... Uh, so it was very tough and... Well, what I felt at the time was I enjoyed playing with Fort Rangers but when I was being asked maybe to go to England and you know go on trials or go to whoever it was something I kind of find quite daunting as I said you know my dad was sick at the time so I was kind of going like I mean there was lots of things at home where I was going I know if I go over there I'm only going to miss being at home and I also liked going up and playing hurling. so a big thing at the time was these people who I was going on trials with would eventually tell you to stop playing hurling. Whereas I was going, well, I don't want to play hurl. I don't want to not play hurling. I'm thirteen. I'm I'm fourteen. I'm whatever age I am. You know, I want to keep playing this. So that's the way I viewed the game at the time. I viewed soccer and hurling in the same way. I want to keep playing them. I, want, I enjoy them. But eventually, it came to a stage where I just turned down so many things that eventually the soccer side of it just died off, and I. You know, maybe around sixteen years of age, I just stopped playing it because the commitment with Kilkenny um obviously started getting bigger in development squads and picking up a few small injuries that were fatigue from playing both so that's generally how it happened because I had stopped taking up offers from um whoever the people were that were it's ringing about back. trials, <laughs> they just said this fellow doesn't want to do it and and that was kind of it like but sometimes you kind now very rarely I've wondered what if but like I'm very happy with the decision I made and it's maybe it's just me my mind drifting that I think what if, but there's a lot of what ifs with that.
0: And with your dad your dad at home and, and as you said, you know, was was very sick at the time and, and unfortunately passed and, and, and whatnot. But your dad if you were having that conversation with him, would he have been you, you maybe never did have the conversation with him, but would he have been the type of man that would have said, Jez Paul, I want you now to Hurl for Kilkenny or yeah, yeah. Paul geez, I do not mind you playing right full now for Leeds. You know, yeah, yeah. Did, did did that ever come to
1: mind? Or well, so I suppose Dad was county board chairman of Kilkenny, but he was also the man, one of the fellows, the founding members of Fort Rangers. So he had a foot in board camp, but obviously a bigger foot in the Kilkenny. in the Kilkenny camp. No, to be fairness, like, to be fair to Dad, he didn't. Um, he never said you have to do this or you have to do that. He never told me that. Um, and we never actually had a conversation of which will I pick because now I have to pick it. It never came to a stage before he passed away that, right, we have to decide now Either there's a contract on the table, which there never was. Yeah. It was always trials. um, Or it never came to that. So the only conversations we would have had was, oh, look, develop, uh, you know, there's an Ireland trial coming up or whatever and Kilkenny Development Squads is happening at the same time. Which do you want to do? It just happened that I would go, I want to go development squads and that's the way it kind of happened it never came to one big decision of okay now we sat down and went okay you have to play hurling or soccer it never came to that so I, he would have supported either I suppose as long as I decided okay this is what I want to do He, I'd imagine if you he, were happy, just, he was going yeah, to be happy yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the army Paul Like you went into the army at quite a young age you
0: joined the army at 18 or 19 was yeah
1: 19 it? yeah at what stage
0: in your life you know, had you decided that this is the route I want to take, this is the the path I want to go, you were obviously still in school when you said, "Look, yeah. you know, this is where I'm going next."
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of young people, I didn't really know what I want to do coming towards the end of school. You know, some people know in junior search year they want to be an engineer or whatever it is, but I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do, but. Um, I've always said it, like, I was interested in the Guards initially. The Guards was something, because I, I had be, in my head, I'd like to be maybe a detective and a molder. For some reason that was the draw in my head and um, just an idea of that. I knew nothing about the army. But I, there was people around me, with uh, James Ford Hurling Club, there was a fellow, Fergal Purcell, who was actually the press officer with the Defence Forces at the time. And there was a few other people around, Kieran Brennan being another person. Um, and I also would have heard of Shane his son, uh, who is an officer in the army now. And, you know, lads would have kind of said to me, did you, did you think about the army? If you, I mean, if you're inclined towards the guards, what about the army? I'm sure he just said, I, I don't know anything about the army. And gradually the conversation came from there and made the decision to go for the army instead of the guards. And that was kind of it straight away. I was going to do, there was a new course, Criminal Justice, um, I think it was it was the name that had come up in Waterford. WIT. It was the first year when I was putting in for the CAO. And I was going to go for that but then eventually last minute decision on going into the army and that's where I went from and look very quickly I realised I'm, I'm really happier. this is what I want to do. Yeah and like, look you always strike me because I've, I've I've done a couple of things with you
0: over the years and uh, you, like you love it. And yeah. Do you know the way sometimes some lads would meet me sometimes and they'd say like and I genuinely do I love my job and, and some lads would say it to me you know you get that from me. You, you do yeah. love what you do but I've always gotten that and even when I'd see you being interviewed at different things and all that like You've had a really, really enjoyable experience in the army. I like you, you. You see some lads that they do their twenty-one years or whatever it is, and they can't wait. They, they you know, I yeah. hear yeah. fifteen they're like have six left. You know, yeah, this type yeah, of yeah, yeah. You don't strike me as that type of a candidate.
1: No, I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy it because the, the the opportunities that are in it. You know, I joined. Um, I didn't go to college or to university afterwards. I went straight into the army and kind of, you know, was in there and then straight away people were kind of saying these are the opportunities, this is what you can do you can go off and do this, you can do that you can do whatever you want pretty much within the army and I started, doors started to open for me and, you know, I went overseas and I kind of had the adventure of going overseas you know, I went to Chad when I was 20 years of age and spent four and a bit months out there and, you know, doing three day patrols and staying out in, in sub-Saharan Africa and different things and I was just going, sure, who else is doing this? you know, no one else and it's something that like you said, whatever appeals to you with your job, you just get good satisfaction out of it. And you're like, this is what I like to do. And, you know, the army has continued to do that. You know, I've went to Lebanon. I've done two trips there. And I always just found the work I was doing really engaging. And that's it. Like, as you said earlier... Uh, like a soccer player. You now, I'm being in the army. I'm not going to drive a Ferrari in the gate any any day. But very few of us will be doing jobs that do that. That's not what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking for a job that I enjoy doing, that has opportunities, that have I suppose challenges that excite me, and that's what the army does for me. And I and it's it's been great to me, and I and I really enjoy it. Yeah, and just just with the army as well, it's it's one of the things I love, like because coming
0: from Athlone obviously we have a massive barracks in Athlone and mm. like literally, I think in my class in school everybody bar about three of us is in the army yeah. and and it's the same and even when I go home I sometimes f- find that even though we're still in the same group of friends and we're all we like if I walk into my local home and I haven't been home and five years in my local I'd say. But when you walk in the door, the boys are still there on a Saturday night and it's yeah. the same lads. And I sit down the same as same chair, Well Scal, and we yeah. chat. Yeah. But all of the boys are in the army and I always feel you know, they have other stories that they're not giving <laughs> to me. Like they just it's it's
1: it's like a real it's like a family. Yeah, um, it is, yeah. It's a big community is what it is. Um and, you know, it's it's like you know, we're doing different things at the moment. We're obviously doing you know, the the with with COVID centres and different things at the moment. And lately, you know, I was working with someone from Customs and he was saying his son was in the army and straight away we started talking and he was able to relate with me things that went on or that where his son is and what his training and different things and you know, another day I was at a wedding and I sat down beside a fella and he said, oh, I'm actually in the army up in Galway and we were able to compare notes and before we knew it, um we'd been on uh, let's say not the same trip but trips after each other, we knew the same people. So it's it's been a great way to meet people in places and strike up conversations because nearly everybody knows someone in the army and, you know, it's a great way to start conversations with people as well but it is a big community and kind of a thing if we look after our own in, in that way. This the the, the the other side of it, just because
0: I want to kind of cut off after this one as well, but just one or two little like, tiny questions afterwards, but the army, like, people that see the army as, you know, peacekeeping duty, and then at home here certain times of the year there's different crises and the army's called in yeah. but right now during this covid crisis the army was called in to do the contact tracing at mm-hmm. the beginning it seems to be nearly fully led and red by the irish the the the, the defence forces and right now with mandatory quarantines all of this stuff it, like it just seems like the army is literally told you just have to do everything really
1: yeah well this is play, this is it essentially you know so we have a joint task force that's up in Dublin at the moment and obviously the whole Covid thing just fell on top of everybody and we're kind of looking well how do we sort this well within the defence forces we have huge experience in operations and logistics you know we have to get let's say um 300 tr- troops from, I- from Ireland to Central Africa, we have to get them food, we have to get them water, we have to find a camp, we have to build a camp, we have to sustain them, we have to get electricity, we have to do all these things. So when we're back in Ireland now, suddenly COVID lands on us and they go, how do we solve this? Well, now we have an army that can do logistics, can do operation, can move people around, can operate for uh, lengthy periods of time away from home and this is what we do. So at the moment, you know, between Ross Lair, Dublin Airport, the the mandatory quarantine hotels, contact tracing, vaccination. You know, a lot of my friends are doing the swabbing at the moment. The, the testing, which the testing is the huge part of you know keeping track of this. So straight away, you know, we have people all over the country who are doing any job to do a COVID. They're doing it, you know, including vaccinations and giving out vaccinations. So I think at a moment like this, you know, people are kind of recognizing, okay, when when the going is good, um, you know we still or uh, let's say i suppose when when, when things go, don't go in our favor you know now we have the army here that are actually you know doing covering so many angles that what would we do if they weren't there you know what who do we bring in to do this we don't have people outside of um outside of the army that that have the experience of the logistics and the operations and how do we manage all of this so that's something that we're doing I'm very happy to say we're doing really well at the moment and do you think is it something because I, I know growing
0: up at home like we used to be slagging lads the whole time you know you know I I would regularly text one of my mates and say listen thanks William we haven't been invaded again this week you know yeah, yeah and yeah. that would be the running joke you know yeah. and and, he, and he'd text me back and you know you're welcome stand up on but, yeah, no bother, but yeah. I think but sometimes I think people don't appreciate what the army actually does. Yeah. Uh, and and that's and I and I mean that. I, I I genuinely feel a lot of Irish people sometimes underappreciate the facility that the Air Defence Forces actually is there yeah. to help us. And that loan I've seen it on so many occasions when the Shannon burst its banks, it's yeah. it's it's the army that comes in and stops all these houses flooding and, and, and people that say, Oh yeah, but it's a big deal. But if that's yeah. your house that's about to flood yeah. and there's forty soldiers at the it is a big deal. and you're damn right it's a massive deal, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and and for us we appreciate it. Mm. And and I just wonder do you think now when You're front and centre doing this for the nation, that people are actually going to stand back and have a look and say, Well, I can tell you something for nothing. I was quite glad we had the army during Covid.
1: Yeah, that's it. Like, I, I think what the big thing is is some people's perception of what an army is and what they do. Like, they look at the American army and the Chinese, these are the exceptions to it. Like, I mean, these are the American army put 800 billion each year towards uh, their army. Like, the GDP of Ireland isn't 800 billion, so that's an exception. If you look at armies around the world, and I've, wor- I've worked with many of them overseas. What armies and defence forces as a whole do is they are set up in such a way that they suit what the intentions of the country really are. So, like, if you look at Ireland, um, like, people think that people think of armies, they probably look at Call of Duty and they look, they look at Saving Private Ryan and they go, sure, or why aren't we out digging trenches? <laughs> they, and they, maybe it's just their familiarisation of what actually the current world is and what we do. But I think there was, like, last year, I remember seeing it, it was like 24th of February last year, and. On one day, the headlines in the paper were: I think the air ambulance service that the that the Air Corps had had ran like six air ambulance services, bringing people in, you know, from Sligo to or whoever to Beaumont Hospital for serious operations, where the Ordnance Corps had gone into Kilmainham and done bomb disposal in the same day. the 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 Shannon had burst its banks in Limerick and those soldiers from Limerick were out fixing this as you were saying saving people's houses at the time and at the same time an IED went off in Mali and personnel were injured so I said in one day these were the headlines of where people are at okay your perception might be that I watched Saving Private Ryan last night we're meant to be digging trenches no no we're in a different world at the moment everything is a lot different and this is how we function as a defence forces and at the same time our naval service are patrolling the oceans and you know a few years ago caught the largest consignment of, of drugs coming into the country so this is what the reality of it is you know and I think people are seeing that at the moment
0: I I, I hope they are and I, I would like to point out I do appreciate yeah it. Yeah, well, yeah no absolutely I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no I definitely do the, the last thing I'm going to leave you with Paul because I'm, I'm taking up way too much of your time and and, and and I really do appreciate the amount of time you've given me on it I have to pull you up on, on one thing right and, oh, yeah, and, and you're going to have good. a minute to defend it <laughs> <laughs> you have said that one of the the GEA rules that you felt was unnecessary in this year's congress there's yeah. many rules that are unnecessary I can assure you if you go through
1: it you'll find lots of them Yeah. But cynical fouling and hurling yeah. you feel it doesn't exist not that it doesn't exist but does it exist to warrant a black card I don't think it does a black card I think would be much more of a hindrance to the game now if you're saying like people refer to it, the scenario they often give is a players running through on goal it's the last minute of the game he's running through and a, a defender grabs him and pulls him down and you know that's a cynical foul guarantee you whatever colour carriage you want to bring in that tackle's happening it's not going like if it's the last minute of the game oh yeah, the completely so accepted. now people say about other parts of you know what would be a better idea would be let's say if a player um, is out near the corner flag and he's cynically fouled or whatever and he gets a, a free from a better scoreable position and people have proposed different things like this but the idea that I don't think it's rampant in the game to the point where you know I haven't seen so many cynical tackles where I'm going, God, this is this is getting out of hand. You know, there are cynical tackles, but oftentimes I see cynical tackles being being put into play. They're probably going to happen anyway. They're in scenarios which players are like, Well, I know I'm going to get punished for this, so I'm going to do it anyway. It's similar to taking a red card. You know, if a player thinks it's valuable and the last puck of the game, a run running through, I'm going to take a red card. Okay, I'm going to be sent off, but for twenty five seconds or thirty seconds. My point would have been that there is cynical there is cynical play it can be resolved differently instead of I suppose even putting pressure on a referee to decide is it cynical you know a player runs past another player at top speed and they collide or did they collide or was that cynical or what is it and now the referee has to pull out either a yellow card or a black card which has he got to do now it's, now it's back on the referee whereas if it was a case of certain fouls the punishment is a 21 yard free straight in front of the goals or whatever it is well, you can you can resolve it a little bit better that way. Give a player a scoreable, a scoreable free in a certain position instead of making the referee making a hard decision. Was it a cynical free? I don't know. The black card in football hasn't been a huge success either. No. So I think bringing in another card when we don't definitely know that it's going to resolve the situation, I think there's other solutions that can come instead of just bringing in a black card. I think it's kind of similar to the yellow ball in many ways. That... Was there a problem with the white ball? I don't know. But the I thought ball.
0: the yellow ball was because of the floodlights. I'm obviously wrong on that, am I?
1: Um I think it was I think it was because of the floodlights, yeah. Um I think there was a study done essentially on that um the likes of white tennis balls are yellow and, and these are this is what I'm led to believe. But I never had a problem with the white ball in if there's a problem with floodlights, it's because possibly the floodlights are too low. But if if a ball is up in front of a, a floodlight that costs fifty grand in Crow Park, if it's, it's yellow it's or if it's white, you're yeah. not seeing it. So um, sometimes You know I, I just think that maybe There's motions being brought Because we need motions On the table sometimes but I don't think the black card the, Is one the, of them The black card
0: motion See I blame the Sunday game For an awful lot of stuff
1: Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I genuinely do I, yeah. I, I watch the Sunday game Some nights And I'd see they show Paul Murphy Six clips of you pulling the jersey And then yeah. the next day in the match The first ball goes in You don't pull the jersey referee blows the whistle and gives a free against you yeah. and you're going What yeah. the hell is happening here yeah. And then I'm saying Well the referee was obviously Watching the Sunday game And assumed that Paul yeah. Was pulling the jersey And I think yeah. They've been pushing for this Oh cynical foul, cynical foul Cynical foul Cynical foul And now in comes the blackguard But when you're on about Motions being put on the table For the sake of Motions being put on the table <laughs> Join captains Paul yeah. yeah What in the name of God Is that about
1: No, that was a one Like I mean it's, it's just so harmless That um, I don't I don't know where it came from um, and not to insult whoever put it forward but why anyone felt the need that two people going up collecting a cup is is, is you know we've actually seen great occasions why, when two people have gone up and, and collected a cup and it's been absolutely brilliant you know I, even things like of Henry bringing up James McGarry onto the steps and different things they're you know, they're big moments like you know and we've often seen clubs as well bringing up mascots or people who elderly people within the community they're not giant captains but they're bringing up a second person what this was to put out was a second person going up collecting a cup of wine or a person I don't. I don't see what the problem is. Is, the, is
0: it a case of somebody sitting there and saying, oh it didn't happen to my day now, and that shouldn't be happening." You're I think it's more of, of a case
1: of someone probably looking for something to put forward. You know, I, I, I need to put a motion forward here. It's almost like when you have a committee meeting, people feel the need to talk because we're sitting around having a committee meeting. You know, <laughs> but, so I'm not sure. Where but the it came motion from. passed. It carries. Passed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great motion. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it's in now. So I don't know. Is it a fifty thousand euro fine if two lads go up and collect it? I don't know what it is. But,
0: but it's it, like it is, and like the the, the other one that I. Did, did see was the, the the fine, and I think it's probably right. But the, for every minute your team spends in the dressing room, um, I think the the the, the suspension—it's an actual suspension if two people go up and collect the trophy. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, I didn't know that. Right? I, um, I actually pulled it because I said I'd check it. The, 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 if the two people go up and collect the trophy, I'm pretty sure is a, a a suspension. Okay. Um, where am I? yeah earlier in the day it was pre blah 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 this means that only one nominated pair of joint captains will no longer be allowed to lift the trophy I don't know if it is a suspension but there's definitely there's repercussions there anyway for it th- there is big repercussions for it but there was a few other ones that were passed through it yeah, a county team is fined 80 euro for every minute if they exceed the 15 minute half time interval ok um, <laughs> 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 they're sent off in a final in which their team has been victorious shall not be allowed <laughs> wait here this this is this now. one now If a player is sent off in a final in which their team has been victorious, they shall not be allowed to participate in the post-mass presentation ceremony. To That's do so carries a penalty of a one match ban. So if you get sent off in the All Ireland <laughs> final, yeah. you have to leave the pitch. Yeah. The boys can stay out there That's celebrating. ridiculous now. That is ridiculous. Uh, and it's a one match ban. You
1: mean your punishment for causing the foul is being sent off the pitch. Your punishment shouldn't be not to be part of the celebrations. Well, you're not allowed you're, to be You're part being of the double punished now as far yeah. as I be concerned there.
0: A GAA trophy should not be used for any commercial purposes. The penalty for doing so is a 12 week suspension. Jesus. Every so every
1: business in the country is going to be <laughs> 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 If you're sitting on purposes. the bonnet of a car would leave a car No, no, mate, there's going to be lads in going. no brown envelopes going around. So any time the cups come back, yeah. and this is,
0: I leave you on this one. A goal can stand in either a football or a hurling match if the referee determines it was prevented from crossing the goal line by anyone other than the referee or a player.
1: So, so words, if, the, if a Labrador runs onto the pitch, and the Labrador gets a two-match ban.
0: Labrador gets it off, but the goal stands.
1: Okay, off. well that's good to know. I won't but ever be. I won't ever be up that end of the pitch. Maybe it'll happen on my end of the pitch. But, but but these these are things that have well, to be it, sorted. Yeah. Yeah. At these very well. The important. red card one, I I don't get that. I mean someone being punished twice, uh, I don't know what scenario why you wouldn't let them be part of I mean, if I was on a team that lost and someone got sent off, I wouldn't begrudge them celebrating with their team. You know they've won by like, whatever means. They've won, like you know, and to say that that player has to go down to the dressing room now and sit there and possibly might be the only time they collect this cup.
0: I think the the scenario I could look at with the one match ban, it's it's nonsensical to put that in. But mm. I would also point out if you've just won the All Ireland final and he's getting a one match ban, he's going to be banned probably for the first round of the Walsh Cup or something next year. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's not like he's going to be missing next yeah. week's uh, you know big big match. But I, yeah. I still can't understand how. Yeah,
1: I don't see why. I mean, again, has it been a problem? Has it been a problem that's been crippling the GA? I don't <laughs> think so. So I don't know. No, no.
0: Well, I can. I can, actually can't think of any scenario, any any player that's been sent off in an All Ireland final where I've looked at him after the game saying he shouldn't be allowed to celebrate.
1: Yeah, I, I. To be honest, I i I'd, speaking of myself, I take the rap for that one. Like you know, as in if I got a red card, I go. Well, I'll take the ma- match ban next year. I'm about to go out here and celebrate. So, <laughs> you know. I'm not going to play the Burn Cup there next year for the first round. So,
0: yeah. No, well, Paul, you've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. I really appreciate your time there. From, from everybody here I want to thank you for what you've done for Kilkenny hurling and what you're doing at the moment with the Irish Defence Forces and helping us all with the whole Covid thing um, I really look forward to seeing you with Fort this year in the, in the club championships and seeing what you and the lads can do there but for your time today thanks very much Thanks very much Eddie That's brilliant That is this week's Clash Act with myself Eddie Scully joined today by Kilkenny hurling legend Paul Murphy I look forward to speaking with you all again soon